I had a laugh at Ben's joke about how old he was or wasn't. I was scrolling Facebook this morning and I came across the meme and I realized that my 13-year-old daughter who just turned 13 two weeks ago is closer to 30 than I am. So uh, I think I got you beat. So this morning uh, I'm filling in for Andy again. We've been having coffee and stuff and he wanted to do this or we talked about doing this series of journey through the Bible. And so we were sitting at coffee the other day and he goes, Dale, I'm, I'm going on vacation. That, but do you realize that leaves you with original sin? And I'm like, okay. And, and that was fine until I started studying it. And uh, then I decided he picked the wrong week to go on vacation. So, but it's, it's original sin and we're going to talk about it. And if you think I'm reading your mail today, I'm not. Because everything that's in here, I had to read back to myself. And uh, by the end of it, I wasn't real happy with myself, to be honest with you. But we're going to take up in Genesis chapter 3 today. Um, we're we're going to read part of it, but uh, for the most part, I'm just going to do some commentary with it so we won't stand. But I do want to read off, uh, lead off in a word of prayer, if you would, real quick. Dear Lord, we just want to thank you that we could be here today, Lord. Thank you for the people, uh, the energy that they, they give us. Lord, just, just thank you. We ask you... Be with your words that are spoken this morning, that they're your words, not mine, Lord, and that you can be spoke, be heard this morning. And Lord, we ask you to put your spirit in this building and that those watching, uh, that we can make a commitment to you. In Jesus' name I say this. Amen. So we're talking about the original sin, and it is a sin of commission, meaning... It was an act of doing something wrong. And you kind of describe an act of commission by a, a little three-year-old kid, you know, as he's sitting there in front of the TV knowing he's not supposed to touch it. And if I do it, I get a whooping. And he does it, you know. And, we, and that is an act of commission. And that's what we're going to start out talking about today is Genesis chapter 3. This is the first sin ever in the Bible. And so Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the servant serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So right off the bat... The devil is questioning God's authority. Did he really say you couldn't eat from any tree? So he's putting in that, that, that fine word, any tree. And that's really not what it was. It was just the one tree, but he's questioning God's authority already. And so we got to ask this question, though. Why does God get to make the rules? And I think Andy kind of covered that last week. He created it. You know, if you own a business, if you created the business and you own the business, you decide what wages are paid. You decide who's hired, who's fired. You decide the uniforms. You decide the benefit package. Why? It's your business. Okay? God created the earth and the creatures in it. Whenever you can make your own galaxy and the creatures in it, then you can make the rules. Okay? Till then, God created the heaven and the earth, so we're living by his rules. And that's the way it's going to be. So, but then the devil, he's got to question the rules a little bit. And we get down into verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. So right there, and then it says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. 
So the woman says, God says we can eat from any tree except that one. And we're not even supposed to touch it or we will die. So once again, the devil questions the authority. You won't really die. So we're, God really didn't mean that. And do we see that in society today? We have God's Word. It's in the Bible. And people say, well, that's really not what he meant. The way I read it is. And we see that a lot. Abortion. We're not supposed to murder. We didn't murder. The kid wasn't born yet, so it can't be murder. But God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Amen. Folks, abortion's murder. You know, and then uh, it says, uh, you know, if you do not accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. You know, it's the good old boy. He won't send a good old boy to hell, will he? God's a loving God can't do that. But it's in the Word, folks. It's in the Word. And if it's in the Word, we cannot deny it. He's questioning the authority of God. And when God says something, it's good for all eternity. In Numbers 23, 19, God, uh, it's written there, God is not man that he should lie, not a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? When God's Word is spoken, that's it for eternity. Okay, God doesn't change his mind and says, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. Don't even touch it or you will die. He's meaning you're going to die if you touch it. That was the rules. God made it. He created it. He can do that. And I kind of got to laughing about this part where we try to twist things and try to manipulate it to where God works for us, you know, not us for him. And I happen to think of the, the story of Balaam. Does anybody remember that story? So Balaam, I think he was a sort of prophet. He wasn't, he wasn't real high, high up there. He, uh, he liked money was, was the problem and had another guy called Balak and Balak was a king of Moab and the Israelites are coming towards Moab and going to take over the land and Balak gets a little um, concerned so he sends for Balaam and he says I want you to come make a curse on those people so this was the Israelites Balak is one in Balaam boy that doesn't get confusing at all to put a curse on and so he comes to Balaam with a bunch of princesses and the money for divination or sorcery and says, I want you to come back to Balaam. The princesses come there and they say, I want you to go back to Balaam. We want you to put a curse on these people. And Balaam does something right. He says, you spend the night here. I'm going to inquire of the Lord about what to do. Well, the God comes to Balaam in the night and says, who are these men and what do they want? Well, they want me to go back to Balak. And God says, have nothing to do with them. Get rid of them. Balaam follows through. He gets up the next morning and says, I can't go with you. Just forget it. We're not doing this. And kicks them out and basically sends them back home. Well, the, the people get back to Balak, and Balak doesn't take no for an answer. So he sends even more princesses, more, more esteem than the last. He sends more money and knocks on Balaam's door and says, we really want you to come back with us. And Balaam says, told you I can't do that but he sees all the money and all that prestige and he says I tell you what though you spend the night and I'll see what God has to tell me and that night in the dream God says whatever go with them that's Dale's paraphrase okay now he really hadn't given Balaam permission to go to Balak 
What he had was kind of like whenever you're at Halloween and your kid brings up a piece of candy and they want to eat it, and you look down and you see it's an atomic fireball, and you know it's a bad idea for that seven-year-old to put that in his mouth, but they keep bugging you and bugging you, and so you're finally like, fine, eat it, and we all know what happens. They're crying, they're spitting it out, and then as a parent, you're wondering, should you make them suffer a little longer or let them spit it out? It's that quandary right there, okay? So, so God says, fine, whatever, go with them. And he, Balaam gets up and says, God says, I can go. Let's go. So he gets on his donkey, and he takes off, and the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, is not happy with, with Balaam whatsoever, and sends an angel with a sword in the middle of the road, and Balaam doesn't see it, but his donkey does. And his donkey goes off into a field. Well, that makes Balaam mad, so he gets off and beats the donkey. And things get straightened out. They get back on the road. Angel of the Lord goes ahead a little further to a place where it's, it's kind of narrow. But uh, the donkey does, sees the angel again with the sword and doesn't want to go. And Balaam again, well, the donkey crushes his foot against the wall. It was in a narrow passage. Crushes his foot against the wall. Balaam gets off, beats the donkey again. Things straighten out. They go a little bit further up. This time there's no to the left or the right. There's no field. It's just a pass. And the angel of the Lord is blocking it. And there is no way they're going to get by without dying. Again, Balaam doesn't see it, just the donkey. Donkey just lays down. Now, if you've ever dealt with a stubborn horse or stubborn cattle, I understand his emotions right now. And it's pretty high. He gets off, starts waylay on this donkey, and the donkey goes, why are you beating me? Now, at this point, I would have a problem. <laughs> this is the original Mr. Ed right here, okay? But what is, what is Balaam's response to the donkey? If I had a sword, I'd kill you. The donkey just spoke, and we're having a conversation with him, okay? I just find that amusing. But the donkey says... Can't you, haven't I been faithful for all these years? And Balaam, God opens his eyes and Balaam sees the angel and then he repents. So God hadn't ever changed his mind, but he allowed Balaam to suffer a little bit so he could open it up and then be able to give the message to Balak that he wants. And he goes on and uh, he does go to Balak. And if you read it, it's about three times him and Balak have a conversation. And each time he blesses the children of Israel because God said, I will bless those who curse you and curse those who curse you. Talking about the children of Israel. And uh, Moab ends up falling later on if you read through numbers there. But that's kind of the way we have. God, God really didn't say that. So let's go back and check and see what he really said because he may have changed his mind. People, God doesn't change his mind. What he said in the Old Testament is still true today. So we're going to go on with the story here. And the devil has had this conversation with the woman. And he says, you know, for, uh, whenever you eat it, you will be like God. So that, that's put a notion in the woman's head that, boy, wouldn't I like to be like God? And so in verse 6 it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then both of them were then both the eyes then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's where the original sin happened. 
Why? Lust. We had lust of the eyes. First she looked up and saw that it was pleasing to look at. And then her belly started grumbling and she goes, Would it be good to eat for my body? And then she also had pride come in. Lust and pride. That's two biggest culprits in our world. Pride, I can be as smart as God. And so she eats the fruit. And then whenever we make a mistake, we always got to take somebody down with us. So we hand it off to the guy. And don't think he's innocent. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what the fruit was. He knew what tree he wasn't supposed to attack, uh, uh, touch. He'd seen that. God had put him there as a caretaker. He knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't just the woman's fault, though we'd like to admit it that that was. And then when they ate the fruit, they realized we done messed up. And so we have the let's do the cover-up story. And this is kind of, as I read this, I thought this is exactly like David and Bathsheba. Remember that story? David, it's springtime, and David's walking around on the top of his house. It's springtime. He's not supposed to be there. It says when the kings gathered for war, David was at home. He should have been out with his men at war. So first number one sin, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Number two, he's out walking around his house, and he looks down, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, there are some things in this world you cannot unsee, okay? Like your neighbor doing yoga. You can't unsee that. But what you can do is not stare, okay? He saw Bathsheba in the bathtub. He should have walked to the other side of his house immediately. He did not. He stared. Lust of the eyes. She's pretty to look at. So that turns into lust of the flesh. Then he calls in his servants. Go get that woman. We want to have a chat. And of course he cuts and gets adultery with it. And they get up the next morning. No harm, no foul. Send her home till she calls back and says, uh, David, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a kid. Now the eyes are opened and we realize we've sinned. Now we got the cover up, right? Now we got to have the cover up. And so Uriah is her husband. We don't want anybody to find out, so let's call Uriah in. We'll ask him about an account of how the war's going, and then I'll send him home to sleep with his wife, and he'll think it's his. Of course, Uriah, a man of integrity, says, Why, my men are out there fighting. I'm not going home to my wife, and he sleeps on the steps that night. And this happens two times in a row to the point that David realizes, I'm found out. She's pregnant. Uriah won't go home, so what do I do now? Let's kill Uriah in battle. That'll work out for us. Okay. And it does. Trouble is, God sends Nathaniel the prophet, Nathan the prophet, and uh, exposes what David has done. And at that point, there is repentance for David, but there's also a consequence for our sin. Okay? There was a big consequence for David's sin. He said, you're going to lose that child. And the child got sick, and for seven days, David didn't eat or he didn't sleep, and he basically fasted and mourned pleading that God would change his mind. God didn't change his mind. The child died. But David did ask for forgiveness. This is the man after God's own heart. He asked for forgiveness so he could continue living. And when David asked for forgiveness, you know, Uriah is dead. He did bring Bathsheba to be his wife after that. And you know where their next son was? You remember that? Solomon, a direct ancestor of Jesus. Now, we screw up in life, but if we repent and we go forward with God's path, he can use that to the better, to make us better. And actually, it turns out to be 
the ancestor of Jesus Christ. So we have this, it's kind of how the things line up and we try to hide. And just like here in the story, their eyes were opened and they were naked. So let's try to take things into our own account and let's try to hide the sin. So they, they sewed fig leaves together, which I can just imagine trying to sew fig leaves together the first time and you've never sewn before and their leaves at that. That would have been an interesting dress. I'd have loved to have seen that. But. Anyway, the question becomes, and what's for this morning, is sin. It's original sin. And that was the original sin. But what is sin in our life? A few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago, actually, I was having a conversation with a lady. And she goes, she asked me, she goes, what is sin? Well, the Sunday school answer is, it's uh, anything that separates us between God and man is, is sin. Anything that comes in between that. She goes, yeah, but how do you describe it? And, and really, I was, I was at a loss at, at that point because that's, that's just a Sunday school answer. Anything comes you and God is sin. So that's pretty simple to me. But from somebody that doesn't understand it, it it's a little hard to con, um, understand. So then I guess we have to go to the Ten Commandments. Now, God gave us commandments for two reasons. One... To show us how to live. If we follow his commandments, life's a lot better. Life's a lot easier. It's not without its trouble. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But if we follow his commandments, life's a lot easier to take. And the second reason we have the commandments is that we can't follow them, and everything points us to Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. So we're going to go through the Ten Commandments really fast here. And as I, as I put these down on paper, I realized I broke every one of these. I am, I am not innocent. It says, you will have no other gods before me. God is to be number one. How often in my life have I not put God first? Unfortunately, that, that's a lot, you know. It says, do not make for yourself an idol. Well, I've never made the bronze Buddha or whatever else. I've never done, done any of that. But I have made idol or money an idol. I have made my job, my family. I've, I put a lot of things above God, which goes back to the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So the first two, I'm already in the dark. And then number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This one hurts. God is not an explicitory statement, okay? And we should not be used that way. And the word of God should not be used to condemn something else. Do you realize what you say when you say that? You really want God to condemn something whenever you say that? We misuse the name of the Lord our God, and you turn on the TV, we see it every day. And unfortunately, because we hear it every day, we use it every day, and we're not supposed to do that. He says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then we got one that... Uh, that really hurts. It says, uh, remember the Sabbath day and, and, and keep it holy. Oh, well, how many times have I done something besides go to church? How many times have I worked on Sunday? It says God created for six days and on the seventh day he rested. But we're Americans. We never stop. But God says, you're supposed to rest. In fact, if you remember right, the Israelites went into captivity for 70 years. Why? Not because they were worshiping other idols, though that ticked God off. He said the reason you went in there 
was because you desecrated my Sabbath. In fact, I'm going to skip ahead, guys, so sorry about that in the sound booth. But Ezekiel 20:13 says, Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the desert. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws. Although the man who obeys them will live, will live by them, they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. You know, we're supposed to actually observe the Sabbath. And that's one of the commandments. It's number four. Honor your father and mother. I don't even want to go there. My mom and I did not get along as I was growing up. And because of that, Dad and I didn't get along sometimes. And there was a lot of times I didn't honor my parents. And so, but that's the command, folks. I shall not murder, shall not murder. No, the next one. I'm passed on that one. I haven't killed anybody today. But in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mouth, Jesus expounds on that one and says, if, but if anyone says, you fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Just like is it murder if you call somebody a fool. And how many times have I done that in my lifetime? That guy's an idiot. I can't, I can't tell you how many times that comes out of my mouth. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to bring people to Jesus. The next one, that should not commit adultery. <laughs> Never cheated on my wife. Has not happened. But Matthew 5.28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Blast. He got me on that one. Okay? Lust of the eyes turns into lust of the flesh, which turns into pride, which causes us a problem. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. The next two, don't lie. There's a little guy that used to sit up here on about the second or third row, weighed about 130 pounds soaking wet, Ivan Collins. I was sitting in a men's Bible study on a Saturday morning one time. He was talking about his life. He was an interesting man. He had seen a lot, and he was kind of quiet spoken, but when he talked, you listened. And he was talking about uh, training salesmen. And he says, this is what I tell every one of them. Whoever you're selling a product to, just tell them the truth. Then you don't have to worry about what you told them. Don't lie. It's a pretty simple concept. And then the last one, don't covet. We're, we're not supposed to uh, covet other people's possessions, though, unfortunately, I've, I've done that too. I like that guy with the new pickup while I'm driving an old 86 Ford, you know, whatever it is I'm driving. But Dale, those are Old Testament. Those don't matter. Those don't mean anything. It's Old Testament. We don't have to worry about that. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, God says, Everything I said in the Old Testament applies today, and it will apply forever. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus speaking. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the slightest stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The slightest stroke of a pen is not forgotten in what God's law says. What applied then applies today. 
So when we think about that, we remember the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, that one's easy. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's the young man reply? I have done it all. I am good. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, ah, if I want to be perfect, he says, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And what was the reaction of the young man? He went away sad because he had something between him and God. It was money. He liked it. So he had a bridge that he couldn't pass, and that was money, and he went away sad. And so when we talk about that, about the things that get between us and God, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something to that in Matthew 5.29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. That sounds painful. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Is there something between you and God this morning that's holding you back? Because we have got to make it to God. We can't have anything. He says, God is to be number one. You'll have no other gods before me. Is there something between us and God? Facebook. Does Facebook cause you to sin? Facebook's a good tool. It's also a great evil. Okay? Facebook, is it causing gossip to happen? That's one of the reasons I hate Facebook is the gossip. I do like the information. Don't like the gossip. But is Facebook causing you to sin? Is it preventing you? Are you spending so much time scrolling on your phone that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you looking at things on Facebook that we should not be looking? Is that something between you and God? Your job, does that cause you to sin? Is your job preventing you to get to church? Is your God, is your job preventing you from doing what you're supposed to be doing? If so, we need to lose it. But don't worry, I don't want to just tell you to go quit your job. I'm not doing that. If that job is between you and God, God will provide a different job so that you will be able to, to worship Him. Don't just go quit your job because you hate it and say, Dale told me to quit my job. Don't do that. Dale says if your job is causing you to come between you and God, you probably need to find some more work. And if that job is truly between you and God, God will provide another occupation for you or another place of employment so you can get close to Him. You just got to ask Him. Is that TV causing you to sin? I tried to watch regular TV here a while back. There's nothing on. Unless you watch the old channels, and my wife doesn't like that, so that doesn't work out so well. But this new stuff, I don't even know what to say about it. That stuff is weird, all right? Whatever's between you and God, whatever's between you and Jesus, get rid of it. And the problem was the rich young ruler had money between him and God. But there's one other sin I want to discuss real quick this morning. You're probably going to get out a little early, which probably breaks your heart, I'm sure. There's one other sin that I think is probably one of the biggest sins that we have, though, is not the original sin. It's the sin of omission, what we don't do. In James 4.17, it says, Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 
If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it is sin in God's eyes. And if you don't think so, there's a story about that. It's Luke chapter 10. And an expert in the law, expert in the law, this is an educated man, comes up to Jesus. He knows everything. Expert in the law and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies with a question. I always love that. Whenever you're in a conflict situation, always ask a question till they figure out the answer. And that's what Jesus does really well. He says, what's written in the law? And then he adds this little caveat to it. And how do you read it? So he's an expert in the law, but how, how do you read it? And the man says, I, he gave a really great answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Not halfway, not partway. Totally. Love it with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, and Jesus says, you have answered correctly. That's the answer right there. Uh, do this and you will live. And then the man says, he's an expert. He wants to justify himself. He says, and who is my neighbor? Oh, okay. Who is our neighbor? I always have to laugh at my wife and I because I talk, we're, we're having a conversation with somebody else. And I say, oh, well, well, Ben, he's my neighbor. And Jody looks at me and goes, he's three miles away. <laughs> You know, if you're in the country and you're within six miles, they're your neighbor, okay? My wife grew up in Omaha and Sioux City. If past three houses was past your neighborhood, okay? But who is my neighbor? So, so Jesus tells them this story. He says there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan going down the road. Up ahead, some bandits have come out and beat a guy half to death, left him naked and broke, bleeding on the side of the road. Priest goes by first, sees the man that's injured. This is the priest. This is a member of the church. Goes to the other side of the road and passes him, doesn't help him. The Levite comes by. Again, God's chosen, chosen tribe, right? The priesthood. Levite comes, sees the man on the side of the road, goes to the other side, walks around, he doesn't help him out. The Samaritan comes out. You know, the one the Jews hate comes, sees the man that's injured, takes care of him, takes him to the inn, nurses him back to health, leaves some money for the innkeeper, says if there's any more problems, I'll pay it on my way back. Then he asks the expert of the law, who's the neighbor? Well, the Samaritan, the one that helps him out. The sin of omission is the good we're supposed to do that we don't do it is a sin. That's a sin of omission. And we have a lot of those things in our life. One of those that gets kind of uh, touchy to talk about is money, tithing. If we're not tithing to God, that's actually a sin of omission. And it says, um, that is actually a command with a promise in Malachi 3.8. It says, well, a man robbed God, yet you robbed me in tithes and offerings. But it's a promise that if you do tithe, there's a promise. In Malachi 3.10 it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land." 
Tithing is actually a command. If we don't do it, it's a sin. Because I realize that's for believers, that's not for non-believers. But if you're a believer, we should be giving back the first fruits to Jesus. Okay, and I think uh, uh, Andy's going to get to talk about that next week a little bit with Cain and Abel. <clears throat> but that's Old Testament, Dale. That 10th percent, that was Old Testament. And, and I'll agree, that, that was Old Testament. But again, God's Word still stands. I think it still stands today. Well, do I tithe on the gross or the net? Well, which one do you want to be blessed on? The gross or the net? That's up to you. Okay. But first, or 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, and I think this is the part we need to remember. In fact, it actually starts out by saying, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a chill forgiver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Tithing is actually a command, but we should do it with a cheerful heart. And let me tell you, that first time you drop that money in the offering plate, if you've never done that yet, that's tough. That's rough. Because that's 20 bucks or 30 bucks or 100 bucks that you can sure use somewhere else. But God says, test me in this, see what will happen. And if I will not throw out the floodgates of heaven so much that you can't handle it. It's a command with a promise. So, sin of omission. Do we tithe? This other one might be, the elders may want to grab the back of the seat here on this next one. Sin of omission. Discipline. This is something I think that we've dropped. If you don't believe me, look at the news and see, see the chaos that we have. And, and discipline is something I think that we omit a lot of times. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline. Now, I do believe in spanking. But that's not the only alternative, okay? And every kid that I've learned in my life is a little different. Um, I've got three of them, and each one is different on how to handle their misbehavior. But whenever a person makes a mistake, it probably needs to hurt a little bit. When I grew up and I make financial mistakes, it hurts a little bit because my pocketbook got a lot thinner when I make a financial mistake. When I was a kid and I made a mistake behavior-wise, my backside hurt quite a bit, okay? But it healed, all right? And I learned what not to do. But everybody learns a little different. And it says in Proverbs 9, 9, it says, Instruct a wise man, instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Everybody learns a little differently. And I, I asked Dylan, I told Dylan I was going to tell this story so he can, he can disappear out the back. Every kid learns a little different. And uh, several years ago, my wife and I uh, lived in town, and we had a, a two-story house. So two-story means there's stairs, of course. And I think Dylan was about three, and his sister was about five at the time. And my wife and I are in the kitchen we're talking or doing whatever we're doing, and we hear this da -da 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 -da, and bang, and it's like, what was that? And then we hear my daughter from the top of the stairs yell, "Was it fun?" <laughs> my son, yeah. And my wife is fast, y'all. 
she made it out of the kitchen to the bottom of the stairs and we have a stairs that comes down to a landing it was a pretty good sized landing and uh they had gotten one of those plastic boxes that you slide underneath your bed you know and she had talked him into sitting in it and she pushed him down the stairs which which really wasn't a bad idea except it was a fairly large landing and my wife had decided we needed a bookcase there and so I had put a bookcase on that landing. And so that trip down, God watches after small kids and fools, okay? He missed the bookcase and hit that landing, so he kind of had that slow slide. And it was fun. But my wife made it in there, and she gave them a chewing that made me cry, okay? <laughs> Never spanked him. And I was actually asking my daughter earlier this week, do you remember that? She says, oh, yeah. <laughs> There was no way I was doing that again. So we thought everything was handled, and we go back into the kitchen, and pretty soon we hear, da 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 da, bang! And then we hear crying. He hit the, the bookcase the second time, which made an abrupt stop, toppled him out to somewhere on the landing. I don't know exactly where he landed, because my wife, I found out, is quicker than I am, and got there. But you know what? He never did go down the stairs again. Sometimes discipline needs to hurt a little bit, and he never did, and I don't think he ever will do that again. However, sometimes we're a little slower learning than others. We have a tricycle, we have a front porch, and we have steps. Let's try that. It only took once. Because we toppled off and we hurt. Sometimes discipline has to hurt, folks, just to get our attention. And I say that just for that reason. But whenever we make a mistake, we need to be reprimanded. And that's what God does to us. He reprimands us one way or another to get our attention. And sometimes we're not disciplining our kids. We're not dis disciplining society. If you don't believe it, look at the criminals that get out. There has got to be a consequence to our actions. And God doesn't like injustice. And so um, whenever... Um, Anyway, I just lost that thought. Sorry. But God doesn't like injustice. And sometimes when we discipline, it's, it's got to hurt. And whenever we don't have discipline, we see the chaos that ensues. So uh, not discipline is a sin of omission. But there's different ways to discipline. The other thing we may not do is in discipline is not teaching our kids. You know, for you parents that are here and you've got your kids back in junior church, oh, I thank you so much. You know, I, I'm, I'm back there, and sometimes I'll admit the little rugrats kind of drive me nuts. But uh, it is a privilege to work with those kids, and it's even a greater privilege when I'm sitting on the back and I see one of those kids come up and give their life to Christ. Because that is what it's all about, is to see those kids give their life to Christ. But we have them for about two hours back there. There's 168 hours in a week. What are they learning the other 166 hours during the week? Folks, church is only for about two or three hours at a time, and then the world has them or you have them, and what are they learning? And they're watching you as to what you're doing. They're watching you whenever things don't go right in your life and how you react. I used to throw tools, and times, sometimes... Anger gets the best of me. But how do you handle your anger? Your kids are watching you. And the other question is, why do we get angry? You ever thought about that? Why do I get angry? 
Years ago, I watched a James Dobson um, focus on the family to tell you how long ago it was. They had the reels that you put the microphone beside it. And then about the time it got good, you had to change reels and, and start another deal. But James Dobson was talking about anger. And I was... I probably wasn't over eight years old, and I still remember this to this day. Why do people get angry? Because we don't get things our way. And guess what? In this life, things are not going to go your way. So how do you handle that anger? Your kids are learning from you. And I'm learning more and more as I get older. Trust me, I do. Julie can testify to this. She works with me. Sometimes anger gets the best of me, all right? But we're trying. We've got to realize that not everything's going to work, and then there's a reason for it, and let it, God handle it. But what are we teaching our kids the rest of the time? So as we come to the, the close here, the sin of omission, there's a lot of things we don't do. But let's just stop here and let's just admit, let's, can we, that we are all sinners? I went through the Ten Commandments. Is there one of those that you haven't broken? If you haven't broken one of them, I'm happy for you. But I'm guessing that we've broken every one of them. Every one of us have. You know, when it says that uh, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. And let's go back to the story. Adam and Eve, they realize they're naked. And you remember the rest of the story. They sew fig leaves together. God comes walking through the garden and says, where are you at? And Adam goes, we're hiding because we're naked. And God goes, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And then we start playing the blame game. Well, the woman gave it to me. And the woman's like, yep, I did. But it was the servant's fault. And so God goes through and curses each one of them individually. The, uh, the serpent gets to crawl on his belly all the rest of his days. That's the reason I hate snakes, okay? It's the devil, all right? The woman, he says, I'm going to increase all your pains in childbirth. I'm going to increase your childbirth pains. That's the woman's curse. Man's curse, you're going to work the fields all the days of your life, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And by your sweatier brow, you're going to eat of its fruit. That was man's curse. But it still didn't cover their sin. Their sin had not yet been covered. They're still wearing the fig leaves. And so then God kills an animal. And he says he made a covering of skin with them. Had to be death. It says the wages of sin is death. There is death to cover sin. And that animal had to be killed to cover Adam and Eve's sin. So what covers our sin today? You know, uh, it says from Revelations 13.8, it says, The Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Before God created the world, He knew Jesus was going to have to give His life because we're stupid and we're going to sin. Okay? We are not perfect people. And if you look at that cross up there, I love that cross. Just look at that. It's empty for one. That's great. But that cross is your bridge from us to God because there is no way we can bridge that without death. And Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. It talks about in the, uh, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, there's a great chasm between us. We can't get across. You or I, we can't get across. But God has made a bridge across that, and that cross and that bridge is Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He died for our sins. 
But that is not the end of the story. He also rose again that gives us hope for eternal life. So this morning, I told you you're going to get out a little early, but I want you to sit here and think for just a minute. Are you sinless? There, there's not one of us here that is sinless. Is there something between us and God this morning? Is it our work? Is it our play? Is it a sin that we've hidden? Have we never committed to Christ already? The greatest sin of omission in this world, the greatest sin of omission, is not accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That if you believe in the name of Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The biggest sin of omission is not accepting Christ as your Savior. Because you have two choices this morning. You can either accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and let him be the bridge between you and God. Or number two, you can pay the price yourself, and that's eternal life in hell, unfortunately. But if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I'm going to end with this verse right here. Romans 6.10 says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Folks, we can die to sin today. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can die to sin today, and then you can live for him. Life will not be perfect. I am not up here saying a prosperity gospel. Life will not be perfect. It's going to be hard. In fact, it says you will have trouble in this life. But you can either accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and bridge that gap this morning, or you're going to have to suffer the consequence when we pass from this life. So this morning, if you have a decision to make, the elders and I will be up here this morning. If you need some help, we will be glad to take you down the Roman road to salvation and lead you to Christ. If you're having a struggle with the sin in your life and you need some prayer, we would love to pray with you this morning. If you'd like to place church membership, we will do that this morning. If you have anything on your heart this morning that needs attention, please come forward as we sing the invitation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you this morning. Lord, please let your words not be in vain. You said they will not come back to you empty, Lord. Please put your spirit on this place right now, Lord. If those watching out there um, has a decision to make, please let them make contact. Lord, we just thank you and praise you that you are that, that bridge that allows us to cover our sin, Lord. Please just uh, be with our hearts. Help us to have the mind of you. In Jesus' name I say this. Amen.